Blog Talk Radio. Every black person has to make a decision. Every black person. Either you are going to fight white supremacy or you are going to support and accommodate. Every black person has to make that decision. You're either going to ignore white supremacy, okay, or you're going to fight white supremacy. Government is designed to perpetuate the status quo. Black people are on the bottom of that status quo. So nothing you vote for is going to change that. Politics ain't going to save black people. Black people have to save themselves, and they can only do that with a solid political, economic, cultural, and spiritual program, period. You can vote all your life, and nothing will change we don't understand white supremacy, and we don't understand politics. You can vote all your life and nothing will change. It doesn't matter whose face is on the cover. It doesn't matter whose face is out front. The only thing that matters is the color of the hand that makes the decision. Our brother was selected before he was elected. Now all of you know something about kingmakers. When people in back rooms come to somebody who's popular, somebody who's intelligent, that don't speak with a Negro dialect. A light-skinned Negro that is non-threatening to white people because they can see themselves in him because he's Black people fought for and give it to people who have never fought for black people. 
Barack Obama was a flunky, he was a functionary, he was a stupid pigeon, and he was a puppet, and yes, he was a coon. Barack Obama did absolutely nothing to benefit Africa, he did absolutely nothing to benefit African people. All power to the people, all power to the people. This is the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. Today is November the 1st. Yes, November the 1st. This is the week, people. This week here coming up. Our national chairman is Yang Nkrumah, National Director of, uh, Director of Operations, Sister Seven Khadijah. I'm the National Chief of Staff, Brother Robert War. Of course, this is the Panther 48, Brother E and Brother Syke. For guests that want to call into the show directly, you can reach us through 323-870-4191. Just press 1 to be placed into the queue. Again, that number is 323 323- Eight seven zero four one nine one. Press one to be placed into the queue if you want to join today's discussion. So today's show is the topic is a revolutionary's guide to not voting. Year fifty fifty five, fifty five years. The ballot of the bullet. And I don't want to be arrogant and assume. So let's get into the breakdown of the show's title. And I'm going to just talk about the tail end, which is the ballot of the bullet, just a, a brief concept on that, and then I'm going to turn it over to Brother E. For those of, you all, those of y'all that don't know, the ballot of the bullet was a speech Malcolm X delivered on April the 3rd, 1964. In his speech, Malcolm advised black folks to vote, but cautioned that if the government continued to prevent us from attaining full equality, we might should consider the need for taking up arms. Hence the famous words, by any means necessary, that most people associate Malcolm with. Now, in reference to that, I also want to go into something else that a lot of people don't know historically and just touch on it as it applies to the symbol, Black Panther Party. And I'm starting that by going over Stokely Carmichael, who's also known as Kwame Ture. He started his activism with an organization called the Student for Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which is SNCC, and abbreviated. Later serving as the honorary prime minister, key word, honorary prime minister of the Black Panther Party. And he then evolved to be a leader within the All African People's Revolutionary Party. And back in 1961, five years before Huey and Bobby, the symbol of the, in the name Black Panther Party was in use during the Freedom Rides. Star, uh, Stokely Carmichael, as a member of the Lowes County Freedom Organization, was organizing for the recognition of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party as official delegates for the state at a national democratic convention. But this fell on deaf ears. So mind you, what was taking place as they were attempting to formulate the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which was basically a black Democratic Party, with just our people participating in the positions of power to help our folks. This is what you had. But America was not ready to accept a formal political power base of black unified delegates with the mission of bringing black power to the South. J. Gay, would I say, Gay Edgar Hoover, at that point identified Stokely Carmichael as the man most likely to succeed Malcolm X as America's black messiah. 
And a lot of people don't know that history. A lot of people don't know that. With that being said, what I want to do now is turn it over to Brother E to kind of just break down a little bit more of our show title, and then we'll build from there. Go ahead, Brother E. Appreciate it, bro. So I could easily and probably should have named the, the, named the title of this show uh, Part 150. So if you take into account a broader scope of our history in this country, um, you really have to go back to, to 1870 and the, the, um, the uh, 15th uh, uh, Amendment. Uh, and I just want to touch on kind of what led up to that a little bit. So Lincoln, well, poison Lincoln, but the Republican Party in the 1850s, 18 early 1860s, I guess they, they, they came around. Um, there was this uh, group called, and they were associated with Lincoln uh, because he was uh, the presidential candidate that was coming up and benefited from their actions. But there was this group called the White Awake. And if you can imagine the Proud Boys and all these other little white groups that are cheering on Trump, you know, trying to get Trump reelected and the whole you know, rifles and intimidation and all of that, this is what this group did for Lincoln. We're talking about the 1860s. They, would, uh, they were basically a political group that turned more mil- uh, paramilitary, would walk around in military gear, would intimidate um, Southerners. They were uh, uh, more or less a, an anti-slavery group, amongst other things, um, uh, mostly white boys. Um, and they would go around, they would intimidate the, the Southern folks, the Democrats, and all of these cats. Um, uh, all the same thing that they're doing now, you know, have rallies. Uh, they had rallies or, or um, uh, parades that were three miles long of just the members of their organizations that had gotten so big. There were some 70,000 that marched from um, the New England to uh, the Great Lakes. I mean, this is a huge number of people. And... Um, they played their part with the, in fact, they were doing it so well, the Republican Party decided to utilize them and mobilize them and get them, uh, you know, uh, focused to do their bidding on a grassroots level. And see if any of this sounds familiar. Um, and that's exactly what they did. Like I said, they would have rallies. They would show up. Uh, one rally they showed up in Chicago, and they actually, there were so many of them there that while they were in Chicago for this rally, they constituted about 10% of the population in Chicago at the time. Um, they would have the rallies, they would have, you know, the, the parades, they would um, intimidate and lean on and all of those good things in order to uh, get folks to vote for Lincoln. Um, like I said, the Republican Party honed them, guided them, brought them along and whatnot. Um, obviously got Lincoln, helped to get Lincoln elected, but they also... Uh, a lot of historians credit them with having been such an intimidating force because they weren't just up in the northern cities. They also went down into the south, not quite as much, but enough to the point that southern uh, folks, these white folks, began getting nervous uh, and thinking that, you know, these northerners are about to strike them, which is part of what helped to fuel and push them uh, to go ahead and do the whole secession and civil war and all of those things that came to be. Kind of highlights some of the significance of that. 
some observers and historians and whatnot today are looking at what's going on in this country, and there are several who have said that we're already in a civil war, um, simply because I forget the term. CIA has a, an actual term for it. Um, it's, it's the rebellion before the rebellion. It's when it's underground, it's coalescing, it's congealing, finding its footing, developing leadership, getting its direction, and it's, it's everything on point is set up for the uh, above-board, uh, out-and-out uh, uh, confrontation. So they've noted that some of those things that were happening then with Lincoln are actually the same things that are going on now. So Lincoln gets elected. They pass this whole Voting Rights Act of 1870, 150 years ago, right? Uh, uh, 15th Amendment Voting Rights Act, whatever you want to call it, 1870, says that nobody can get you, it, 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 it's unconstitutional, it's illegal, whatever, or that nobody will make a law um, barring anybody from voting based on their race or their previous condition of servitude. And basically, you know, black folks uh, uh, that were enslaved can vote, and we voted. Reconstruction, black folks came in, you know, Hiram uh, uh, Revel, Bruce K. Blanche, all of these cats came in, a lot of us, sheriffs, mayors, all of that, until the Europeans got pissed off, decided they weren't having it anymore, and booted us out of office. So you've got the amendment on the book, and it wasn't until 95 years later, 1965, that Voting Rights Act of 1965 passed in order to enforce the amendment that was passed 95 years prior to. So you have this big swath of time that it was not even paid attention to. Black folks wasn't able to vote. According to the Constitution, the amendments were allowed to vote, but in actual factuality, weren't allowed to vote. Nobody really cared. So we went through all of this time. Uh, uh, 1865 comes along, we get this uh, so-called uh, right to vote, or the, it, it, and again, it actually, uh, the verbiage is that it's enforcing the law that's already on the book. So <clears throat> they outlawing a lot of the things that the folks in the South was doing to, to, to intimidate and to keep black folks from being able to vote. So then we arrived, 1865, boom, we get this right to vote. You know, and the call to action was ending police brutality, it was jobs, it was economics, education, all of those things. Lo and behold, now, 55 years after that, and 150 years prior to the actual amendment, the call is to end police brutality. The call is to end, end uh, or, or to, for better education, for jobs. It's the same exact call over and over again. So it, it's amazing. It's mind-numbing. And this is the importance of of history, the, 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 that we've gone these 150 years, or at least 55, we've had, again, 150 years we've had the right to vote, 55 years, I guess, again, we've had the right to have the right to vote and force, if you can follow that, um, and we have voted. We, were to, we, we, we got Carter elected, we got, uh, what's his name, Clinton, the saxophone playing cat, Elected twice, put him in office, got Obama put into office, and absolutely nothing has changed. Nothing. But yet, for some reason, African people in this country can't get it through our heads. We refuse to 
smell the coffee. We continue to hold on to the illusion that this voting makes a difference. You know, we have these so-called leaders that even Malcolm back in the day used to talk about uh, uh, um, we're the only people whose leaders are entertaining. You know, you don't hear white actors being referred to. Brad Pitt is never called a, a, a white leader. But you have Samuel L. Jackson and T.I. doing you got to vote, not because I want you to, because he doesn't want you to. But, of course, they have a reason to cast a ballot within the system. Voting in a system that you are supposedly diametrically opposed to, and this is to the revolutionary cats that call themselves revolutionaries, you can't encourage people or take part yourself to participate willingly in a system of oppression and at the same time call for that system of oppression to be dismantled. You can't play both sides of the track like that. You have to be called out for it. And so, and, and I'm not even trying to stretch that, that definition to somebody like T.I. Or, or, or Samuel L. Jackson or any of these cats that have a vested interest. You know, if I'm making the money that Samuel L. and T.I. And, and Little Wayne and all these cats are making, yeah, I'm going to encourage you to keep participating in the system because the system is rewarding me for what it is I'm doing. I have something to lose if the system goes away. But the masses of the people, those on the ground floor, and I've talked to a lot of sisters and brothers who who are and, and non-black folks, you know, others, who have thrown their hands up and said, hey, yeah, I'm not into the voting. Voting doesn't make a difference. Whether it's Obama or Trump, my grind, my hustle, my struggle is still the same. So nothing you've done, nothing they've done has worked to change that. But yet and still, in, in my irritation, I get those middle class, so-called, that have an interest in the system and want to keep the system. I understand why they would do it. I disagree. But when I see African people, particularly so-called revolutionaries, who will sit up and, and say, yeah, we need to vote, for what? What is the logical reasoning? And I wish there was somebody to tell me the logical reasoning behind voting. I've heard things like, we have to vote uh, uh, in honor of all of those ancestors that fought for us to have the right to vote. That's bullshit. Nobody fought for us to have the right to vote. Those that fought, lived, breathed, died, this struggle, those whose names we will call out, they were fighting for us to be free. They thought at their time, at a moment in history, that voting would contribute to that, but they were not fighting for us to be able to vote. They were fighting for us to be free. And if it hasn't worked, Certainly after, I, I believe, and I don't like to speak on a dead man's perspective, but I believe even Dr. King, after 55 years looking back, would be like, man, it didn't work. He even lamented just not too long before his death, he was concerned about having led his people through integration to jump on board a sinking ship. So certainly after 55 years, I know he would come to the, I, I have to believe he would come to the conclusion that this shit, this shit does not work. And with us being on the precipice of what they're calling a moment of history and blah, 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 it's going to be interesting, no doubt. I am so looking forward to whichever side wins, whatever the other side is going to do. Back in, I don't know if y'all remember, um, the Hanging Chad stuff in Florida with uh, Gore versus uh, Bush. So they had to have a, um, 
a recount, right? In Florida, no less. And in Miami Dade County, there was this point in time, there was this point where they were beginning the, the recount process. Started recounting these folks, and they had a certain number of them. And the folks in the recount office decided to move their uh, recount uh, going on. You know, they're sitting there recounting, using the computer, hanging chairs, all that crap. So they decided to move it away from the front of their building and the offices to the back. Why? Because there was a riot going on outside of that particular station at that point in time. There's a riot known as the Brooks Brothers Riot. It was um, a, a so-called riot. It was calculated and, and formulated and come up with by high-ranking officials within the Republican Party. And the reason it's called the Brooks Brothers Riot is because it was made up of attorneys and uh, uh, um, officials from the, from the Republican Party, um, uh, canvassers, Basically, cats who everyday wear was, you know, uh, $300 suits, a Hermes tie, you know, the, the button-downs, the nice shoes and all that. Those white boys uh, who were dressed in Brooks Brothers type of, type of attire, they actually flew people in from across the country to come down to Miami and protest outside. And it got so wired up. It got so uh, fiery. Some folks were hurt. It wasn't nearly what we're seeing now on the street, but there was a few people that got slapped around, punched, kicked, knocked down, and got unruly enough that the, the, the elections committee that was in charge of the recount decided to stop the recount part of the way through because of what was going on outside. They didn't feel that they, were, they, didn't feel that they, could, not, that they could do their job without being intimidated, and so they shut down the recount process. So now if you watch what's going on right now, similar things are starting to fall into place. This is not something that that is far flung. This is not something that I'm making up. Google it. This is something that actually happened. It's a tactic that they use. It's a tactic that they could use again. Things have been set up and put in place. People are aware and know what's going on. So these are distinct possibilities, especially in places like Pennsylvania and Michigan, where they're, they're uh, uh, early voting with the, the mail-ins and whatnot. And Pennsylvania can't start counting their mail-in ballots for three days after the election, you know. So there may well be an issue during those three days. If the early voting shows, you know, Trump is winning, that state puts him into the Electoral College and he's ahead and everything, they don't want any more votes counted. So maybe the Brooks Brothers ride up to Pennsylvania and shut it, shut down the recount or the the, uh, the, the mail-in voting count process. Maybe they shut it down. So there are a, you know, a lot of little uh, things that if we look back in history have already happened, and we can kind of sit back and watch and, and see some of those similar things going on. But again, all of this feeds into if you vote, and these cats are sitting back manipulating the processes from behind the scenes like that. What does your vote really matter? Number one. Number two, the reality of it is Joe Biden is just as much a millionaire as Trump. Maybe more so if they ever see his taxes. I don't know. Joe Biden is taking just as much money when 
folks were yelling about, you know, Russiagate, Russiagate with Trump and, 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 and all the money that's supposedly been taking hands, passing, exchanging hands and Putin and all of this, people were wired up. Trump is working for them and Trump is blah, blah. blah. The media just blew it up and just had a field day. But Joe Biden's son, there are emails that have been leaked that show that he's had a connection where he has been uh, funded by Ukraine operatives and Russian operatives. NPR went so far, National Public Radio went so far as to refuse to carry the story, refuse to do anything on the story, just because they didn't feel like it was a good story. This is a president, son of a president, a sitting vice president at the time, who was receiving funds from a foreign entity. You know, and I know, that shit is shady. I don't care who you are. You know that shit's shady. And if it was Trump, they'd be all over it. But because it's Biden, and they want Biden to win, it's oh, your vote, again, isn't really making a lot of difference. And I'm only, I'm not going real heavily into the, the uh, 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 electoral college because we've heard so much, I guess, I, I'm assuming a lot of people have heard about it, going to electoral college, you got to get 270 or whatever it is. It's a group of people. You have your, your, your uh, 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 popular vote and your electoral college. Popular vote is your vote. Al Gore won the popular vote. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. The Electoral College is a group of people who are chosen by higher ups, not you, not me, but higher ups within the the respective uh, 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 Democrat and Republican Party and who get together and usually vote what the popular vote tells them to do, but not always, obviously. Gore, uh, 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 Clinton, Trump, all of that. So they get together, they cast their votes, and whoever they decide, whoever they vote for is who becomes president after, and this is something that, other, that I don't hear folks talking about a lot, after the Senate in December votes to uh, verify, to ratify the, 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 the results of the Electoral College. So you have your popular vote, which means nothing, and you have your Electoral College, which means a lot, but then you have your Senate vote, which means everything, because they can say yay or nay, technically. Oh, and even before that, back to the, the, the Bush brothers. The Bush brothers, that, because they shut down the, the process, the Supreme Court stepped in and essentially awarded the, uh, 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 the, uh, the election to George Bush. Now, lo and behold, what do we have happening just so, a week or two prior to this uh, particular vote? Uh, 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 a Supreme Court nominee has been okay, Republican-leaning, very uh, conservative, has been placed into the Supreme Court, giving it, a, I think it's a 6-3 uh, leaning, conservative lean. So, again, these little bits and pieces are being put in place. Maybe they'll use them, maybe they won't. I don't know. But these things have happened before, and they continue to happen by the playmakers, the shot callers, the ones that actually do it. So, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Samuel L. Jackson, that commercial I saw, says that if, if, if your vote wasn't important, they wouldn't work so hard to keep you, uh, try to take it from you, try to keep you from having it. It's nonsense. The only reason you are uh, 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 given a vote, the only reason that you are allowed to vote is to keep you from doing something else. You know, the vote is, is given in increments and in pieces. Have we got wired up and, and, and fired up and gone as far in the – you know, 20s or 30s as we did in the 60s, 
and we probably would have gotten a vote then. Women did. Women got their vote because they were pushing the envelope. So they gave them the vote. Okay, you can vote. So they were happy, went back to sleep. Did the same thing with us. Are you wired up? Okay, you can vote. We went back to sleep. It's the same damn thing. I've heard it said in times past that religion is the opiate of the masses. In reality, religion is not the opiate of the masses. Religion is the syringe. Religion is the crack pipe. Religion is the conduit through which the opium is delivered. The real opium of the masses is hope, whether it's religion or whether it's voting. Voting gives folks the same type of high, the same type of hope high, that things will change and things will be better in the sweet by and by, the same type of vibe that religion gives. Uh, 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 and even your boy Barack, he was bold. He came out and just and just said it. You know, hope. Here's your hope. Hope, hope, hope. Hope don't do shit. Hope doesn't get anybody uh, uh, out of jail. It doesn't keep them from being murdered by the police. It doesn't get you a better education. Hope ain't shit. We as a people have to stop hoping. That's a part of our problem in my mind is that we're hyped up, we're high as hell on this hope shit, and we keep hoping and keep hoping. And that keeps us focused on that, that dream, eyes on the prize, down the road, as opposed to the shit that's going on in our, our very own backyard. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm a staunch believer in part because of the way I came up. My mother was active in the, on the political scene. She was the whole, the whole hippie thing to the degree that the FBI used to visit our house with some level of regularity. And, and you know, I got to do the back, you know, the the, the, the backroom stuff and hear some of the conversations they had and see some of the inner workings and whatnot and what really goes on in, in, in the politics. So I've never, I've never voted. Even when I turned 18, I, I, matter of fact, I take that back. I did vote. I voted for president one time and I wrote in Mr. Farrakhan. So that one year, whatever year it was, Farrakhan got at least one vote for president uh, from me. And that's the only time I voted. Simply because it's never made sense. As soon as you say electoral college, your vote is irrelevant. So, uh, 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 so yeah, I mean, that's, that's my piece on it. That's my take. Um, revolutionary minds shouldn't be able to acquiesce to the idea of voting because there's no logical reasoning behind it. It's all about hope. It's all about keeping us distracted like little Wayne and whoever else, keeping our eyes off of what it is we need to be doing and continuing to keep us in this mode, voting is essentially an appeal to the oppressor, asking them to do for us. You vote for Joe Biden, you vote for Donald Trump, you're not voting for us. You're not investing in us. You're basically saying, yes, I agree with the system. The system may well work. I believe it's going to work, so I'm going to go and participate. That's what we're doing. And we continue, even though so-called revolutionaries continue to try to have it both ways. Push our people to vote. Damn that! I'm not even going to be, you know, polite about it and say, yeah, if you're going to vote, I get it. No, the hell with that. If you're going to vote, you're not really working for our people. You're not, because you're trying to sell us both directions, and it's just not happening. And I can't, I can't let that pass me personally. So I'm gonna stop ranting. My bad, bro. I'm gonna fight for you. I want to peace in. Or hey, let me uh, go ahead. Okay, I'll let, I'll let Syke jump in on that, and then I'll come back. I'll double back. 
Well, you uh, <clears throat> did you want to speak specifically to some of the things that Brother E talked about? Because I might take a beer. Let's take a beer. Nah. Yeah, a beer, not a beer. Oh, I might okay. beer a little bit. But it's, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's on the subject matter, but it's just, you know, Brother E got no, long winded on that. This is something go, he's very go, passionate go. about. Go ahead. I'm not gonna. I'm not, I, I, I I double back on the overall thing, you know, because uh, I I don't necessarily well, believe the same way he does. Go ahead. Good. All right. Well, the, uh, <laughs> 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 well, brother, he uh he brought up something. He said he talked about uh he talked about how when uh white people got tired. Of uh, the voting and, uh, and the political actions that black people were taking right after the Reconstruction area, and they brought that to a halt. He, he uh, brought that up, and uh, I wanted to speak on that a little bit <clears throat> since we're dealing with since we're dealing with politics and we're dealing with uh, voting in general. Uh, Huey wrote a treatise on politics that he called the functional definition of politics. It's uh, it can be found in one of my favorite books dealing with Panther ideology, uh, the Black Panther speech by Philip S. Forner. But anyway, in this book, in, in this uh, treatise, uh, Huey said, he explained politics as war without bloodshed and war as politics with bloodshed. Essentially, he was quoting uh, the book On War by uh, Carl Van uh, Clausewitz, I believe that's his name, the uh, the Prussian general that wrote uh, uh, the premier uh, uh, uh book on warfare the Europeans based their strategies off of. Anyway, Huey said that politics was war without bloodshed and war was politics with bloodshed. What he was saying is that politics is made up of two elements, diplomacy and war. Diplomacy is the negotiation between two groups that essentially uh, uh, hope that lead to the two groups mutually uh, uh, coming into a mutual satisfying agreement. Diplomacy represents the aspect of politics that lack bloodshed, like voting, discussions, petitions, etc. When diplomacy has been exhausted and the people still don't get what they want, get the things that they that they hope to receive or that they think they have a right to, politics continues. But the continuation is usually more aggressive, and and it becomes physical, which usually brings about bloodshed. And we call this part of aspect of politics war. Declarations of war <clears throat> in the political spectrum can be defined by activities as diverse as protesting and or, or armed resistance. They both usually bring about uh, uh, swift and, and violence from the repressive state. It does not matter if these actions, uh, if your actions are violent or, or nonviolent. Any time you attempt to change the status quo, the norm, those who benefit from the norm will respond with more and more repression. And this leads to, a, to another important political idea. In order to be political, and this is another thing he was said in that treaty, he said in order to be political, one must be capable of giving a political consequence. This requires that a person or a group has political power. In the political arena, to have political power, you need to have at least one of three powers, economic power, feudal power, or military power. Uh, uh, what he talked about earlier, right after the right after the quote unquote end of slavery, black people had more political positions than we've ever had in this country. Even now today, we have more political positions, but we didn't have political power. So 
So when white people got tired of those political positions, when they got offended by that, white people wiped that completely off the board because we didn't have political power, so therefore we didn't have the ability to give a political consequence. And as Huey said, we look ridiculous claiming a political position without political power. And I'm going I'm to try to make it quick. <clears throat> I'm going to try to make it quick, but I feel like I got a little leeway to Brother E got on his soapbox a little bit. And I'm going to explain, because I, 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 I quote this a lot, that in order to be political, you either got to have economic power, feudal power, or military power. But I'm going to give a breakdown of what these mean, each one individually. Economic power is, is essentially the foundation or the glue of a capitalist system. If you have economic power, you have the ability to fund political campaigns, you have the ability to lobby, to basically influence political decision-making, and you have the ability to add to the economy by creating businesses and jobs. On a more simple and basic level, economic power can be used by recognizing your spending power. you got to understand that every time you spend a dollar, you are voting, because what you're doing is you're voting to keep a company in business. So think about it this way. If you, if a company is supporting political objectives that you don't agree with, or if they are not supporting the political objectives that you do agree with, you can give them a political consequence by refusing to give them your dollar. A group can be organized to, to boycott a company, causing them uh, 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 to, to, to uh, go into a large economic strain. A good example of this is the Montgomery bus boycott back in the day, what, what uh, Martin Luther King may have organized. When Martin Luther King, when, when black people in that time was not allowed to uh, sit at the front of the bus, they had to ride at the back of the bus. And, and if all the seats were full and the white person got on the bus, they had to give their seat to the white person. They decided to boycott the Montgomery uh, uh, bus, bus company, and they boycotted it for a year. And finally, they changed, quote-unquote, changed the law and allowed black people to sit wherever they want to sit. They didn't change the law because the city administrators or the owners of the Montgomery bus, bus company decided, you know what, we're wrong. And we should just treat them like him. That ain't what happened. They did not change their hearts. What happened was it affected their pockets. It affected them economically. Black people basically essentially gave them a political consequence by hurting them financially. And in a, and in a capitalist society, you have to understand one basic thing. Whenever someone oppresses you, they oppress you because it's profitable. And like Huey said in this treaties, uh, uh, functional definition of politics, once you understand that concept, once you mentally grasp that, if you ever want someone to stop oppressing you, all you have to do is make oppressing you non-profitable. That's all you have to do. So, <clears throat> so essentially what happened was the civil rights organizers used the collective power of the black dollar to affect the political change. And, and, and another more recent example uh, black students at the University of Missouri were, were facing a climate of racism on campus. They went to the uh, president. The president's name was Ted Wolf, and they they uh they went to talk with him. He completely ignored them. The hell with y'all. I ain't trying to hear it. So since the, camp, the campus president refused to talk to the students, they decided to protest. And the students staged a campus walkout, and the black football players refused to play another game unless the, the president, Ted Wolf, resigned. Now, if the University of Missouri neglected to participate in the next game, it would cost the university over a million dollars. The university's contract required that in the event that a football team was unable to play, it would have to pay the competing university $1 million 
and forfeited ticket sales. So incidentally, the school president resigned. In this instance, uh, people power, military power, was used to give the school an economic consequence. Therefore, if the, uh, uh, if the people's demands were not met. So this is the, the instance of what he would meant by you got to have economic power. The next one is feudal power, which basically is land power. And one of my favorite books on the planet, uh, All the War Vote by Sun Tzu, uh, uh, there was a, there's a story, matter of fact, <clears throat> I'm going to look at it because I can't remember the whole story. I'm about to, I'd have to paraphrase it a little bit. But it's a story of a... Uh, of a general of the Qin Dynasty, and a, a, another general from another part of China, he uh, he came to the general, and they thought this general was weak. They thought the cow was weak. His name was uh, Tu Mu. They thought he was weak, so they came to him and they say, "Hey, uh, we heard you have a thousand li horse, and uh, we want that." And so Tu Mu he went to his generals and his advisors, and he asked them. He said, "Hey, uh, the enemy asked for the horse. What should we do?" And his advice said, no, we can't give him that horse. And he said, that horse is a small price to pay, you know, to keep to keep from going to war. So we give him the horse. So then the, the enemy came back to him and said, hey, we heard y'all have some beautiful women over here, so we want some of your princesses. And then he went to his advisors again. He said, hey, they want the princesses. What should we do? They said, no, we can't give him the princesses. Hell no. And he said, man, a few princesses is a, is a small price to pay to keep from going to war. Let's give him the princesses. And so then they came back and they said, hey, we heard you have a few a few little miles of land that you ain't using. Let us get some of that. And so uh, he went to his advisor and he told him, he said, hey, they said they want some of the land. And, uh, and <clears throat> they want some of the land. What should we do? And some of the advisors said, no, we can't give them any land. And other advisors say, man, a little bit of land is a small price to pay to keep them going to war. Go on and give them some land. And then he turned to him and he said, what the hell are you thinking about? The land is the foundation of the state. So he had the ones that advised to get the land the way he had them beheaded. And then he got everybody together, and anybody that didn't want to ride, he had them beheaded too. And they rolled down on the enemy, killed them, and took everything that he had gave them. And then he went to the next enemy and killed them too and took their land. And then he rolled to the next enemy and killed them and took their land. And then he told his people, you never give away the land because the land is the foundation of the state. And, and, and I use that, that, uh, that story from, uh, from Sun Tzu's Art of War to make this point. <clears throat> one thing that you can guarantee, that you can guarantee is that no one is making any more land. You ain't getting no more land. They're going to make some more iPhones. They're going to make some more TVs, some more cars. They ain't making no more land. You ain't getting no more of that. It ain't happening. So when one controls the land, you got to understand that they also control the most important resources in existence because everything that you think about comes from the land, everything from food to the, to the minerals that they use to make your iPhone. It all comes from the land. This is why the state never allows the citizens to have complete and total control over the land. You could own your house but you will always have to pay taxes. And if you refuse to pay those taxes, if you miss too many taxes, the state can take the land that your house is owned and that all your natural resources is owned. And this is why the state this is why the state does this, because the land is the foundation of the state. And that is one of the things that you have to have in order to have political power. And last but not least is military power. And military power is self explanatory. Traditionally, this is just this is always just meant to have an army that is prepared to fight for a particular cause. 
and, and we got to understand that a potentially destructive force has always been able to check the ambitions of men. But military power can also represent people power. It represents group power. When, whenever the people come together with a united voice and might, they have the power to influence the governing body. This is because the origin of all political power is people power. And when the people recognize this and organize themselves in a way that leverages this, then all power must submit to the will of the people. Because one of the things we got to understand about politics, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to pass the mic to Brother War, is that all power originates with the people. All power originates with the people. Even the government was first organized and structured by the people. It just got out of hand. See, when people realized that it was safer for human beings to live in close proximity to, to each other, the first societies were formed. And then those brilliant people, men and women, who had ideas and concepts and who had the ability to lead, these people who served the people and, was, and came from amongst the people themselves became the first governing body. But you got to remember, at that time, the, the, the societies were so small that, that usually those governing bodies was usually your great uncle, your grandfather. They were the leader of the family or the head of the house, so they were usually those people. So their, their interest was tied into your interest, so the government was not separated from the people. When society became so big, this, government, this governing body became so powerful that it actually became separate from the people, and it became, instead of the servants of the people, it became the rulers of the people, and the people themselves became the, uh, the, the peasants. But in reality, that governing body, all of that power comes from the people. It all comes from the people. Even the United States government, when you look at the Constitution of the United States, the, the, it, the, the United States Constitution claims to be written by the people because the very first word started with we the people. And then if you look at the organization of the United, of the, of the United States governing body, the, the, the top uh, 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 in, the, in this hierarchy is theoretically we the people. Then you have the three branches of government, the executive branch, the, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. And then under those you have uh, uh, particular uh, agencies that help those branches uh, 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 run and enforce the policies that they've been given. And then under that, you have we the people again. So the government starts with we the people, and the government ends with we the people. And and <clears throat> it was something I was listening to earlier today. I was watching out the Wall Street Hustler, a, a dude, a channel on YouTube. And uh, this guy, this cat here went to prison, and he came out, and he started dealing with stocks. And, you know, he, his channel is basically about, you know, in the hustler's language, and in the street conversation, telling you and explaining you stocks. But he said something that made all the sense in the world to me. He was just talking about taxes. But we can understand this from a political point of view. He said that because uh, they were talking about how people don't understand taxes and don't understand uh, financial literacy and how this is not taught in your average school. And he said, well, if you think about it, they, 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 they wouldn't teach you that. They're not supposed to teach you that. He said, think about it from this perspective. He said, a lion doesn't teach the lemur, doesn't teach the dura how not to be ate. He doesn't do that because then it would not be beneficial to the lion. The lion teaches his own children how to be great, greater predators, and the lion hopes that the dura or the lemur never figure the game out. 
because if during the lemur and the thieves that the lion preys on figures it out, then the lion would have to become a vegetarian. And this is why we don't have a, a, a functional definition of politics. Because if you ever mm-hmm. figure it out, then you'll stop being preyed on. And that's and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna stop there and I'm gonna pass the mic to Brother War. Hey, before you jump in, War, just uh, uh, the the other flip side of that example that you just used, uh, uh, site with the, the the lion and the deer. While the lion is teaching his children to be greater predators, the deer is teaching its children how to be better prey, how to not be eaten, or how to dodge around, or how to to try to avoid, as opposed to trying uh, teaching them how to take the power from the lion and figure it out. And that's kind of the situation that, that we're in. We're teaching our children to be better deer. Right. Or allowing the enemy right. to teach our children to be better deer. Yeah, that goes into so, go ahead, what, I, what, I, that goes into what I referred to in the past is just dealing with dysfunctionality. Because from that standpoint, we have owned and we have taken in the concept of being victimized. And so the victim itself becomes a, a way of life, victimhood. So that's what you're talking about there, and that's, and that's operating on the domestic being domesticated. Let me go into this here. Just kind of of, uh, one of the things I always talk about, or at least always mention at every show, dealing with our three Ds. As a black panther and black people, we must deal with defining what is in the best interest of our people. So we say that importantly, define, like Psych is talking about with overstanding politics. Develop what is in the best interest of black people, and at the front, middle, and end, be able to defend what's in the best interest of black people which is obviously the overall important thing in terms of being able to stand up to a power structure. People choosing to have a rightful place at the seat of power, we must address the power structure as, uh, with, with a defined, developed, and defendable position of power. And that's the key there. If you're going to address power, then you have to yourself be defined, developed, and defend and have a defendable position of power if you expect to actually obtain any power. In essence, going back to the title we talked about, the ballot of the bullet, power has to be taken. From the position of a democratic process, how is a minority position supposed to win a a majority favorable position within a political stream of fascism? That's the question everyone should be asking themselves. Because keep in mind, we are operating collectively in, in reference to the people, the race, African, we're operating from a minority position, not a minority position of a power, but a minority position, which goes back to what he's talking about and Sykes talking about as dealing with the prey, operating with the victim, victimization as prey. This is what needs to happen. This is how we have to approach this, going back to dealing with the position and political concept of defining the, the political position or political ideology period or what that means there's two ways you go about that either we deal with it from a position of inclusion as americans or we deal with it from a position of exclusion as africans the position of inclusion means we yield on defining ourselves as anything other than americans and this as americans the african-american has been granted the legislative power to participate in the electoral process of the American Republic, going back to what we was talking about within the Constitution. The Civil Rights Act granted black to blacks who first had to be declared human beings or as a whole entity first, and then the justification through legislation could be given 
to, to allow us the right to be associated as we the people. See, so there was two parts to that, to that concept. And mind you, as, as long as you're allowing yourself to be defined through legislation as a people, to put, in order just so that you can participate on the level of what was already predefined as a people, then that lets you know right now that you're operating from a position of inferiority and a position of inclusion. So looking at it from that standpoint, then that basically puts us in a, stand, a, a category of dealing with it as assimilated people. The discrimination encountered uh, from being or dealing with it as a discriminated people means that you're dealing, on a world perspective, you're dealing with an American against an American, and therefore does not have any bearing on the outside world as it applies to political power. This is the problem we face as Africans in the United States because we're coming from a, from a position of inclusion. Coming at it from a position of inclusion basically means the act of genocide cannot be declared. And this means that the systemic oppression we confront must be fought on a level of inclusion. Fighting on a level of inclusion basically means that you have to operate on the rights that has been granted to you, mind you, granted to you by the oppressor to fight the oppressor to rec get the oppressor to recognize the error of its ways and how it can be beneficial for them to allow that assimilated people to operate or have an equal access or equal bearing on the overall political process. And when you look at it from that position, then you can see the insanity of it. Because if my mere survival, going back to the natural law that we was talking about earlier, of the predator and the prey, if my mere survival is based upon you being a prey, based upon me having a flock to pick from so that I can continue to thrive as a predator, why would I grant that prey the opportunity to define or to uh, uh, allocate how much or how often I'm going to be a prey? Why would I give that prey that opportunity? What, does, what good does it give me to give the prey the right or the voice to enact how it wants to be a prey? That would change the whole concept of predator-prey. That changed the polarity of the situation. So that is coming at it from the position of inclusion. So when we talk about voting and we talk about this as, as it applies to that, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, going back to what I was initially saying to Brother E about what Brother E said. I do believe or accept, let me say that, and I say believe, or let me accept, I do accept the concept of voting on a local level to deal with certain aspects of the politics to make things, uh, to, to right the wrongs. But in saying that, you have to look at the overall picture. You have to look at the fact that things on a political front is a game. So basically, in recognizing that game, they give a little, they take a little. They give a little, they take more. They give more, they take even more. So it is a balancing back and forth game facade that is being played until you deal with things from a position of exclusion. And exclusion means we, de we declare ourselves a separate people, and therefore our fight is to develop as African in hostile land. That hostile land is a contested war zone. 
Therefore, we are behind enemy lines and operating from a position of a political entity, a.k.a. provisional government. This is why back in the uh, – this is, this is the same concept that Garvey was dealing with, the same concept that, that he ultimately evolved to the nation of Islam, the word they were operating on, initially operating from a, a separatist position. Also, the same thing Malcolm recognized from that and, and, and worked toward evolving that concept as he started seeing things on a larger level and, and developed the, the, the um, uh, Moss Incorporated the Muslim Mosque Incorporated, and this is why he also got assassinated. The same thing started coming into play. Anytime you separate the concept of civil rights from human rights, now you live, you're looking at things from on a larger scale. If we, uh, if we go into the political process as it applies to human rights, then what we are doing at that point is declaring ourselves excluded or from a position of exclusion as Africans. And looking at it from position as Africans, then what we have to do is define, develop, and defend political power as Africans. But if we want to continue to do it as Americans, mind you, the African-American has to do with a position that's been granted to you, first and foremost, in the Constitution to make you a whole being or an entity, which is the same rights they gave to a corporation which created the straw man, which allowed Europeans to basically, or should I say the corporate world basically, to utilize the same rights of freed Africans to form corporations and to form law and to be able to separate themselves, the straw man, from their corporation and all of the doings by which. And that's a whole other conversation to talk about. But basically, look at it from this point. In doing that, we basically became... Have uh, uh, operated as property, operating as property, but we now, as property, have the rights to participate in the legislative process. So the step two to that scenario was now we will grant them the we the people. We've defined them now as being part of the we the people. Next step is we give them a a a, a part to participate in the political process as Americans. We defeat we the people. So basically, Africans here have accepted the position of inclusion or assimilation for the sake, and we operate through the legislative position of being granted the right to participate, being granted to the right to to formulate and, and, and work and, and work that element of the power structure. So in doing so, think of it as a board game. That board game, the rules have already been laid out. The pieces have already been laid out. In comes this one piece, this one pawn, that decides it doesn't like the limited moves and limited operations in which it's been given. So every now and then you grant that pawn an executive move or an executive uh, perspective, so to speak. It's not even a move. It's a perspective, an executive perspective to be able to, to move and a, a limited capacity additional But nonetheless It is a pawn So it is limited by The definition of the game In which it can operate from Because it is Still stuck in the constructs of Operating from within a game That has already been defined Before that chest or that board piece Has even landed on the board But yet Operating like that Operating in that game that has been designed By others and you being a defined piece within that game, you think you're going to have the right 
to determine your destiny? Going back to point number one of the platform, or most sound the platforms, I don't care what formation you operate from, point number one has always been the same. We want freedom. We want the power to practice self-determination. Mind you, let's not even get into the concept of the we and wanting. Let's just talk about the essence of saying freedom, the essence of saying power to practice self-determination or determining the destiny of our people. You cannot determine the destiny of our people if our people have accepted the position of assimilation. If we have accepted that position of assimilation, then we Americans. We're not Africans. We are Americans. Go ahead. What are you going to say? And, and, that's, and that's exactly why. Tell me one thing, because I've had this back and forth with, with B back in the day. Tell me one thing that locally is any different in terms of voting that, that, it, it, that's different from the national level. Well, that's why Whether I you said vote for mayor or you well, vote well, for, for that president. The, the, the fact of the matter is just what you just said. If you are simulating, well, voting is a part of the assimilation process. It's a part of taking part in it. And if you, and the reality of it is, we don't live in a democracy. That's that's another trick that they play. We don't live in a democracy. If you say the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic. This is a republic. It is not a democracy. Democracy, everybody votes on everything. Period. In a republic, you vote on. Who some you vote to to elect somebody to go and make the decisions for you? That's what we do. And as long as there's that step in between, I don't care if you're the president or you're on the local school board. As long as you are putting somebody else in charge, that somebody else can have somebody come in and say, "Hey, there go you know eighty thousand dollars. I want to buy your vote. I need for you to let me build this new school. Give me the contract instead of them black folks over there. Done. Game over." So you still you still got the same dynamic. It's no different. I didn't say you didn't. I said on but the local level. I, I, I believe what, I said I believe you didn't hear how I put it. You didn't hear how I phrased it. I said I believe on a local level you do have the ability to make change. But I also said within that change, oh, listen, listen to me. I said you didn't hear me. Within that change, I said it's about they give you some and then they take more. And whatever they give, they take even more. So I did say it's a back and forth, and that back and forth is just confining you again to a position of assimilation. You appear, and I said the perception is that you are gaining. But, again, that's operating, like I said, from a position of inclusion. What's that? You said you believe that you can vote on a local level and make change. How is that making change? It isn't in Are essence making change. I said it's perception. It's you trying to fight? You huh? trying to fight me when we all all the same? We all seeing it the same way. I just further elaborated mm-hmm. on the whole point. No, but you said you said the words. I believe on a local level you can make a change. Whatever mm-hmm. came after is okay. That's okay. But on a local level, I believe you can make change. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I have yet to see how, other than changing the look of the, 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 the illusion, the facade. That's why I call it perception, brother. Do we have to go into the concept Gosh. of perception? <laughs> if you're operating from a position of inclusion on a local level, then through a democratic system, 
you can see results. But, mind you, that is coming from a position of inclusion, and how is a minority, like I said again, how is a minority operating in a democratic process? Process. I didn't say a rep- we're talking about a republic uh, a government, but a process. How can a minority in that process expect a majority system to do what's in the best interest of the few? It doesn't make sense. So, again, you're operating from a position of inclusion. I can see how people can push that, 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 that narrative. All I'm doing is going into the concept of how that works. But at the same time, I'm shaking it up because I'm defining it and explaining this as a board game. As long as that board game, like I said, is defined and already constructed and architected by, a, by the oppressor, then your role, your piece, is constantly being defined by the one who designed and who created the game that you're playing in. And you cannot expect a, a true position of power to ever come from that. Even if you, quote, unquote, win a position, a local position within the game, you are playing their game. They are the controller. All it's doing at that point is, is letting you participate in the race. This is that rat race that we constantly fight, call ourselves fighting within. It will continue and perpetually be a race. And as a minority, not being defined from a position of empowerment, all we can ever do is participate in that race. That right there is what we thought we were asking for when we said equality. But what we get is a simulation. So going back to the, the definition, going back to the concept of what, 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 we, what we were referenced in the, in the 10 point platform when you say we want freedom, you cannot want freedom, but at the same time accept a simulation. A freedom and a simulation don't equate. If you're going to turn right behind that and say we want freedom, say we want to be able to practice self-determination. How do you practice self-determination in somebody else's game? How can I be self-determined as a pawn? How can I determine my move as a pawn in your game? That is a contradiction, people. That is a contradiction, and it is the lack of our true understanding of definitions of defining and developing and then, therefore, knowing how to defend, which is, which is the, the uh, facade and the and the. Uh, the the manipulation that continually perpetuates and happens over and over and over again that causes us as a people to not know where to go, where to start, how to start, who to operate from, what the hell we are, and therefore so on and so forth. This goes right back to what he talks about when he says know thyself. We don't know thyself. So we keep accepting a position of, a, of an assimilated pawn, so to speak, within the board. And we feel like just because we're able to make a move that we're granted through civil rights, mind you, we're granted this move through civil rights. First, we had to be defined through the, the same legislation that we are upon, and then we had to be granted that right to even operate within that board game. And yet we think that we can, add, after that, we think we can jump right in and say, we want freedom, or we want to practice the power of self-determination. It's crazy. 
You said you said before all of this, you said that there was a point where you disagreed. Yes, I mm-hmm. disagreed. I disagreed with you because we have to first define whether our people are operating from inclusion or exclusion. If I'm operating from a I position of that. inclusion, no, it goes back to this. It goes back to this. It goes back to this, E. Where are we as African people? Are we African Americans? Are we Africans? Are we again? Are we are we assimilated? See, because I'm, I'm, I'm when I tell, when I say I disagree with you, the point I'm getting at is that I'm operating from the the, the, the mind, the wave of the listeners, the wave of the listeners, not knowing the political process, not knowing the process of empowerment, would sit back and hear the title of this subject matter, saying we should not vote. That 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 churns that 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 curls them up and that makes them upset and that makes them want to shut down. In shutting down, I'm opening I'm opening people back up to the whole point of why you have a problem with what was said is because you have not defined the difference between inclusion and exclusion. You have not defined your position as an African. If I have not defined my position as an African, I will disagree with what you said. Because I don't recognize that. I recognize myself as an American. If I recognize myself as an American, what does that mean? That means that I'm inclusion. That means I'm assimilated. That means this is the position which I'm operating from. So what I'm saying to that inclusion concept and that inclusion perception is that how can you, through the concept of inclusion, operate on a board game, where your peace have been defined for you, your move has been defined for you, and you at the same time say that you want equality. At the same time say you want the power to practice self-determination. You cannot. It is a complete, total contradiction. So what I'm saying to the listening audience is, as a people, we have to go back and recognize what we are and identify with going into the mechanism structure of the Black Panther Party. We break things down from the standpoint of infrastructure, defense, resource mechanism, information mechanism, community mechanism, identity mechanism, and engineering mechanism. In dealing with the identity mechanism. If you as a people have not defined your identity or defined who and what you are, then none of the other mechanisms matter. Let me give you a basic natural, natural law breakdown. If I am an embryo, I can be any and everything. Or no, should I say stem cell, any and everything, the basic element of a DNA. As I form to be a separate part or a whole being, then I will develop individual organs. If I have not defined the individual organs, then I can't move to any other step within the mechanism. As long as I'm going to sit back here and not define what a kidney is, not define what a heart is, not define what a brain is, then where can, how do I make my move? If I allow an outside force to define my DNA essence and my DNA structure for me, meaning a external host or a virus comes in and it basically accumulates 
my essence accumulates, my well-being accumulates my vital energy, then how can I in turn say that I want freedom? It is a complete, utterly don't-make-sense concept. But we continually run through this same cycle because we have ingested the love of being a victim. We are still suffering from the effects of what it means to be a victim. Those part of those effects is the roach mentality. The roach mentality is I've survived this way for so long that I'm cool in the dark. I know how to get around. I don't need to see a damn thing. I can put my little antennas on the ground and I can feel the vibration in the pulse. Those posts will navigate me to the breadcrumb that I need so that I can go back to more dark corners and live. As soon as you cut on that light and you let me see my reflection, goddammit, I got to run and hide. I do not want to deal with that beast that has negated me down to the position of a roach. We have to come up out of that victim mentality, people. We have to. It has to be a community effort that we embrace. Going back to the identity mechanism, know thyself. Each and every one of us must go back to the essence of what we are as through our DNA channel and reconnect with the fact that, like Syke was saying, in regards to that landmass, what defined me? How do I accept a position of, of defining myself? In defining myself, what am I entitled to? As a self-defining human being, as a self-defining people, how do we, what should we do to create that separate mentality? What is required? And knowing that, this is why Malcolm basically threw it out there on the table and said, look, y'all can vote from a position of inclusion, but I want you to recognize that at the end of the day, through the frustration that you will continually and continually receive playing that game, at some point when you wake up from that perception, that facade, that way of life of being a victim, of being that deer, of being that antelope, you will have to draw blood. That deer will need to use its antlers, and at that very moment when it pierces the skin of that predator that tried to attack it, it must let that blood drip down on its antlers into its mouth, taste that blood, and embrace that blood. And at that moment, the seed, the offspring of that deer will develop a taste of fight and power. This is why humans continually kill any animal that has tasted human flesh. Because they know in the DNA structure, if, that, if the next born cycle of that animal tasting that human flesh will now define that human as a prey and will now move forward and attack humans in a matter of I'm the predator, humanity is the prey. So you kill that bloodline as soon as you can. We can look at nature, people, and see the problem. We can look at nature and identify the solution. Deer, African deer, taste that blood that has dripped down because you've made that step. Embrace that blood. Embrace that position that for your next generation, 
to be able to stand upright and face, face that oppression. That's all I got to say on that for right now. I turn it over to y'all. We have a caller there, bro. All right, I'm gonna let the caller come in on ending in three three six two. Three three six two, you on? Peace, all power to the people. All power to the people. Sounds like this national church. What's going on, Panther? For you, man, what is going on? Y'all having an interesting show. This is good. All right, let me jump in. The, the little bit of what I heard. Here it is. I, I think this is to E. Why voting affects on a local level? Okay, let me go all the way back. I think we have to change the narrative, man. I think when we're studying revolution, we have to first understand what the revolution is about. The revolution is about democracy. I think I hear what you're saying, E, and I don't know. Are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Because this system is a failed attempt at democracy, are you advocating that anyone, no one should participate in democracy? When we get our own government, how will we express our issues and our woes and our disgrievances with our government if we don't know how to practice democracy? Democracy isn't the monster. It's this hypo- hypocrisy being masqueraded as such. That's the enemy. Um, secondly, I think that, you know, we look at, when we look at revolution, I think Ernesto Che Guevara, not think, Ernesto Che Guevara says in Guerrilla Warfare, he says, where there is a democracy or the semblance of a democracy, direct revolutionary conflict or armed struggle is not advisable. Why? Because a democracy or the semblance of democracy, if the people believe in that, they believe they themselves have elected their governing officials, their representatives or whatever. To directly go against that would be to go against the people or perceived to be going against the people in their own minds, and therefore the revolution wouldn't be a populist revolution. Uh, also, my other point is, I'm not arguing it. I hear every argument, every person says, what is voting done? What is They're arguing it from a point of a reformist standpoint, as if I'm a reformist. We're never saying that voting is the option. We're never saying that that is the solution for the black man and the millions of black men and women in America. What we're saying is what most of you guys are offering as an alternative is nothing. Apathy. You're not even asking, even if voting doesn't work, if electoral, if all of it's bullshit, it teaches the people first to protect, participate in self-determination by being informed and aware of how the government that will include them and does include them voluntarily, involuntarily, how that works. Your legislature, your, your three branches of government, your three. I was speaking to an African. He said black Americans. Black Africans here in America are some of the most ignorant, politically ignorant, and especially internationally ignorant of uh, politics. So true. So the the alternative, what I'm getting a lot of times when people are always, you know, arguing the reformist standpoint, what does voting do? It's not going to do something. What does not voting contribute? Mm-hmm. Not only does it practice apathy, not only do you not learn how, how your government works or how to participate in a democracy when the day comes, you will have to run your own democracy. It also does it. You're telling people who are mad and want to express their grievances with said government or disgruntled to sit on their ass. You're not, there's not alternative. I would understand not voting if it was offered as a part of a strategy to some revolutionary, you know, bigger picture. It's being offered at the only reason that it's or the only what is what am I using? 
thing that people saying not vote is because mm-hmm. what has voting done, but they're not saying what is not voting doing. Here's what voting does at the very least, like I said, reiterate, and I end it. Um, it gets, and I'm not even talking about if it works or not. What it does, it allows the people to express their disgrievances and sat- their grievances and sat- dissatisfaction with the government. It is a form of expression. It is a way of teaching the people political process and in the same time a revolutionary knows to point out the contradiction and the hypocrisy of the way that they run a democracy and true democracy. You use this as a learning, uh, a learning technique. And then thirdly, it ensures that when we study revolution all around the world, they didn't factor in the third antagonist, which we do, then that's a whole nother class. I don't want to go because we're looking at it from revolutionary struggle as proletarian, bourgeoisie, this and that. In America, our struggle is so unique, we have a third class, and that's called the, the struggling middle class. There are black people out here who do pay insurance. There are black people out here who do have children in college. There are black people out here who are forced to participate to a degree because they were they in a certain tax bracket. They're not so far above poor black people that they can't feel our pain and want to be part of that, but they're not so in it that they're willing to just burn it down and not participate in nothing, you know, and and have the driftwood effect. But lastly, really, right, so that's those are the three things, you know, information um, on how to run a government, on how you run your government so it doesn't set up, so you don't destroy democracy, and do we do in revolutionary, see in revolutionary countries, China and Russia, a bureaucracy, which comes from the masses not being educated, but a certain class of people learning how to run run stuff, and they perpetuate that. It's this sick form of a hierarchy type of thing. Uh, and so it teaches and ensures we keep a democracy. It allows them to express their voice and shows us, gives us an opportunity to point out the contradictions in it. And, uh, yeah, that's it, man. I appreciate it. I'm listening. All right. Um, I'll leave his mic hot. Just so K2 wouldn't jump back in. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, So, so if voting were a way or was useful as a technique to learn about politics, then we should all have master's degrees because we've been voting for at least 55 years and have learned nothing about the political process. When you talk about China and Russia and these other countries being bureaucracies where the higher-ups make the decisions and the people are kept ignorant, I could have sworn you were talking about the United States. Whenever black folks talk about politics, we talk about one thing, voting. We don't talk about how politics actually works, the inner workings, the economics, the, the, the hobnobbing, the rubbing of elbows, the different uh, positions and the, the, the branches of government and all those things that is even uh, posted up as a facade. Just understand, as I stated earlier, that what good does voting do? What the, the, the bad that voting does is, again, to feed into this, this idea of hope and keeps us distracted from what's actually going on. Because in the time that we've voted over the past 55 years, the oligarchy in this country has solidified and has congealed and gelled around the political, so-called political leadership in this country to the degree that, that you've got billionaires and millionaires sitting on top supposedly fighting it out over not even issues. They're not even fighting issues. They're talking about Donald Trump's hair. They're talking about, you know, uh, I can beat you up. They're trading bars about beating each other up. This is utter nonsense. So voting for this racist who's an oligarch, 
who's making big money or voting for that racist who's an oligarch who's all about big money doesn't make any sense logically because you're getting the same result. It looks different, but you're getting the same result no matter who you vote for. On top of that, again, politics or the so-called supposed democracy, number one, throwing the baby throwing the baby out with the bathwater, it ain't our baby and it ain't our bathwater. So it really doesn't matter. We know how to run government. We've run our own small time. It, uh, uh, Black Wall Street was our own government. We know how to do our own thing. So sitting up and being able to take part in this system, the way they have us taking part in this system, and again, emphasis on they are allowing us to do certain things within this system as long as we don't get outside those boundaries. And uh, uh, more to the point of it keeping us distracted, there are a myriad, a whole bunch of things that black folks, that Africans can do to uh, emphasize, to, to, to put their, their foot down on their own self-determination that are not voting. A whole bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with voting. So again, if you participate in a system and you turn around and say, hey, the system's no good, why the hell did you participate in it? So that you could say right. to everybody, look, the system doesn't work. We've got 55 years of proof that the system doesn't work. We don't need any more proof. At some point, we have to say, okay, we've learned. It's not going to work. We need to find something else. But we keep doing the same thing. Every, every time an election comes up, we do the same thing. And in the meantime, in between we attack. Going back to what Sykes said, if voting, the only way voting could even uh, begin to pro- approach, in my mind, a vi- to be a viable option is if over a period of time, we as a collective, had put together some sense, some level of, of economic power. Again, I have to, 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 to reference OBU. When you've got more than six, uh, seven figures in the bank, politicians and whatnot are going to pay a little bit of attention to what you're saying. We as a people do not have that economic or feudal power in this country. Mm-hmm. So voting is irrelevant because when you vote, for, for, for tighter controls, when you vote for tighter controls on social media, then Mark Zuckerberg comes behind you and says, no, 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 we don't want any tighter controls on. Who do you think is going to win? So the Democratic, so-called Democratic process in this country is nonsense, and us participating in it is saying, yes, I believe in this system. And, again, it's not, it does not feed into the idea of, 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 of self-determination at all. It is the opposite of self-determination. I, I don't know. I would honestly disagree. I think that we're not, you know, I think that we romanticize our movement. We're not being realistic. We're not giving, we're not talking about the John Lewis's. We're not. John Lewis was another uh, I'm sorry. He, he got it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I agree. Listen, listen, I agree. He walked across the bridge, got beat up. He got awarded with a medal. Check it out, brother. Check it out. Look how we have the luxury of saying that now. When we talk about our movement has to be a whole movement, not just one of politics, but one of ancestral reverence and spiritual wholeness, we don't have the luxury to really... um, Now, we can disagree, but we don't have the luxury to really not acknowledge the advancements that even if we disagree, those movements and those people have made to overall movement of... But see here, that's why I'm a black nationalist. That's why it's not in conflict with me, because hold on, here, let me tell you why. Because I don't look at voting, I don't look at voting as my solution. But I don't look at voting as my solution, but I would say this. 
I have yet to hear anyone tell me what not voting has done for the black nationalists. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you're making it. It's not like saying, well, we, if we don't vote, we're saying, well, we don't agree with this political party. Do you go, do you have a job? Is FICA getting not some of your voting. money? Do your children in, in any public school? Do you use any public facility? Do you have a driver's license to not participate, to not, to not have at least, even if it's driver's license? Driver's license has nothing to do with voting. I don't well, care. No, no, I'm talking about, no, listen, driver's license, everything is politics, politics, and everything, brother. You put, that's why I said you're arguing a reformist position. You know what I'm saying? The reformist position is that we're putting everything in, we're not taking a reformist position, we're putting everything on voting. Voting, democracy, voting is about democracy and exercising democracy. What I'm saying is I'm not advocating voting if you have something better. What I'm not advocating is a lack of participation in anything that 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 you that participates with you. I would never tell my people let people go in your pocket, tax you. This, this white man fought no taxation without representation. Kicked off a, a revolution. We for any revolution must first be a political revolution. And the first, the hypocrisies and the contradictions of the very politics that govern your day to day life has to be exposed to the masses before you can incite the masses to any other action. And Bowie and them telling them not to participate in any type of procedure that automatically includes them, I think is counterproductive because no one has told me what not voting produces. If voting, voting at least produces conversation like we're having now. What has not voting produced? I got to stop you, bro. I just literally told you what it produces. Talk to me. I just told you. It it takes, when you, you, again, back to the opiate, as long as our people focus our eyes on this prize of hope, as long as we're sitting up talking about hope, 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 and voting or religion or anything else, it's keeping us from focus on, focusing on those things that will actually benefit our community. So by voting, that's the thing, that's the harm that voting does. If we, stopped, if we told every black person right now and every black person went with it, and we said stop voting, put your energy into doing this, instead of rock the vote, instead of Samuel L. Jackson and these cats getting up and saying, hey, rock the vote, if they got up and said, hey, we need to rock the black economics, Boom, you got a difference all of a sudden. So having us focus on some nonsense like voting, again, not politics. Mm. I'm not, we never said politics. We're talking about voting it, because that's what – Isn't voting politics? What politics? Conversation. Conversation, that, we, that's we, the democracy. The politics is the – when you say don't vote, you say don't participate in democracy. You do know you're saying no, that, right? No, voting no, is about no, a democracy, no, and, and the politics do affect us. The difference, like you said, about black economics is whether you get that loan, whether your community is zoned for black businesses or black bull stuff. Bro, you misquoted me. You misquoted me. You're wrong. You misquoted me. I never said don't participate in politics. I keep up with politics. I can run all of it, all of it down to you, but the reality of it is, Keeping up with politics, you start to learn what politics is. I don't vote because voting is not politics. Politics in this country is one thing and one thing only, money. And as long as we don't get that sound I disagree, brother. Whether you vote or not, I dis- I, I dis- yeah, I disagree. I think that I think it is not one thing because how do you get money without the voting, without everything in measure, brother? Everything, in, everything has to, everything plays itself. Everything is a cycle. Like you're saying, you're saying don't vote. How do you get money? That's the difference from your community being zoned for black businesses or for black bull stuff. You know, you know what I'm saying? You have to, when you say don't vote, is your politics what? Depotism, 
tyrannical. I mean, where, where's the democracy? How do people express their grievances? How do people come together in the community, have a representative, say this is their – when you say don't vote, voting is democracy. Now, talk about capitalism. You can talk about how America has the – when you say don't vote, you're saying don't participate. Where's the self-determination in that? Okay, and granted, E, I'm going to be quiet after this. Granted, you're right, but answer this question. What does not voting produce? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, not voting. As a matter of fact, I want to take you back to that. When you say that not voting is a show of apathy, it is not. Not voting is a show that you understand that me voting is irrelevant. Not voting and taking my time and energy and focusing it somewhere productive is letting those around me, when they ask me, do you vote? No, and here's why. Because I'm putting myself, my money, my time, my effort, my focus more than anything else on uh, on issues and programs that are actually beneficial to our community. I'm not wasting my time going and participating. As long as we participate, it's nothing else. This government can stand back and say, uh, uh, can say to the government of Ghana or, or, or Russia or China or whoever else and say, hey, our people are happy. How do we know? They're voting. As long as we sit up and play this game of I'm going to vote for this racist, narcissistic billionaire as opposed to this other racist, narcissistic billionaire, then we're taking part in the charade. And as long as we take part in the charade, we're fooling ourselves. We're keeping ourselves and our children tuned into that so, nonsense. And we can't keep doing so that. So not voting produces what? It shows that we're politically astute? You can be politically astute, but I'm politically astute. And I don't think he's going to that's argue what I that. Said, that's, what you, that's what I'm asking. So you're saying that's not voting sends the message out that, that the black vote. African here in America is politically savvy because we've decided not to participate in a system that already robs us? I say that Nobody is saying, so you're, you're arguing it from a reformist standpoint. You're arguing it from the standpoint. No, I'm what I'm no, saying no, is I'm voting not. as a, as a step towards it? revolution, not it? as the final how solution. How is it reformist? To say I'm done with your system. That makes no sense, bro, by definition. How can I say that That's I'm That's what I'm saying. We're not reformists. Reform That's what I'm saying. System, but some, no, 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 no. A reformist wants to reform the system. That's participation in Exactly. Revolutionaries say to hell with the system. It needs to go. Actually, so absolutely. And they want to change voting, it. Yeah, but what, prog- but what prognosis did you, what form of revolution are you using? That's my question. What form of revolution are you using? That's my question. What I bet you're not using is a unique form that's unique for the African here in America that factors in not just class struggle, but also the race, our historical material dialectic. You're not factoring that in. You're talking some stuff that is not realistic to the black African here in America. His experience was birthed out of this. Not that, not slavery, but birthed out of this. And so how do you factor us into where do you see us in your revolution? And I don't hear where you're factoring us. I hear, and no disrespect to my Pan-Africans out there, I hear a lot of who ain't going to accept us, how we ain't going to look into If you don't even vote, you can't even, you don't even have a say on international, how nobody look at us. What you even going to say about our international policy? What An African told me we are the most ignorant uh, as far as yeah. international politics. I'm listening, sir. Yeah. Absolutely. And if we were more astute and more aware of international politics, we would, we would know that the cats in South Africa, who, when Mandela got out of, of jail, out of prison, they voted him into office, and then several years later, even the cats on the street are sitting back and saying, you know what, 
we voted somebody into, 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 into the presidency, but we didn't vote ourselves into some economics. And we do That's the right. same thing over and over again. After 400 years, we know that they're not going to accept it. We know that their system is not going to work for us. We know that it's not in our best interest. And to sit up and say, yes, we need to vote in it is a reformist position. That's not my position. I, so I disagree. That I disagree. I think that we, I, that I, I think we reserve the right to redefine the strategies of revolution. I think we do ourselves a disservice by not looking at voting as a potential, like you said with the free we breakfast program. He said, no, it's not revolutionary. He said it's not a revolutionary program. So if we don't take, go ahead, sir. What? Why? Why would? Why would? What's his name? Why are brothers? Uh, what's brother in his, uh, hands in the air? Did you remember the? Why who's brother brother's hands in the air? Why are the brother's hands in the air? Because he had well, why the bullets in his in his armpit? Because he had his hands up. He was surrendering. Police brutality was a thing in 1964. We got the vote, and it's still a fucking thing in 2020. Nothing it's, has changed. And, and it's going to right, and it's going to be the thing into complete and total. We're not looking. E, I think I think you're stuck on. Here's my thing. I think you're. I think you're stuck on. We would be the most astute people on the face of the planet because we vote like voting has gone out of style. If you don't believe me, ask Barack Obama. You got a brother in there. I agree. Absolutely nothing. The system is not going to work. And participating in the system. You're arguing. You're arguing. You're arguing it as if we only have two options. See, here's my point. We have to break the constructs, man. We are unique. Our, our situation is unique. You're arguing, uh, it is. You're arguing as if we only have two options. You're defining revolution. What, 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 what are you defining your revolution by? What are you setting your base okay, on? Whose revolutionary struggle must you be studying? Our revolution doesn't have to be defined by that. It doesn't voting or participating in the political system doesn't. You don't necessarily have to believe that that is the solution. I do not you, believe you that that is the solution. That argument, you and I agree on. What I'm saying is, if you're especially in your locale, if you're not in control of your wards, your aldermen, your things that you can control and spe- see a more immediate effect or result, you're snoozing and playing games. That's the difference and between a playground and a liquor store you in your neighborhood. How do you, gain, how do you gain control of your alderman? By voting him in? Fuck no. You gain control of your alderman like any other political figure, and that's through economics. So as long as you Absolutely. don't have a, a consequence, as long as you don't have a consequence, no, no voting. Voting is irrelevant. And I'm not in the fact I, that I, no, I disagree, brother. We sit there, brother. I'm gonna tell you, I in Atlanta, I there's a whole zone called you know in, in catching Atlanta, know the bluff in Vine City, and what it was, they were being robbed of economic resources because of political unawareness. Their autumn the council was riding, supposed to be getting these grants and loans. They're riding around in fat cars, but because of, I don't vote and don't do nothing anyway, I don't care about voting, they got sold out. The community got sold out. They didn't go to any zoning meetings, any town, and that's what I'm saying. You have to point them. I forget what point in the, in the Panthers part. We must control the politics and black politicians in our communities where we find majority. Absolutely. Absolutely, and the way that you control them is economics, not a vote. And it's not I, a matter I agree. of all of those are tied. You know, it's, 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 it's not a matter. It is not a matter of having having only two options: vote or don't vote. That's not. That's that's that's, that's trying to make it too simplistic. The fact of the matter is, just a piece of revolution 
is not participating in the system that oppresses you because the system that oppresses you is designed to oppress you. So anything that you participate in that system, by definition, will oppress you. Therefore, the vote actually oppresses you. And until we withdraw, stand back and look at it. It's like if you if you're in the middle if you're in the middle of a relationship with your girl, and y'all just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What y'all do? You go you're healthy. You go to counseling. You talk to somebody else, somebody who's backed away and can give you an objective uh, 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 commentary on what's going on. As long as we're participating in this relationship, we have no objective perspective. We have only the subjective. We can only speak as victims. So until we stood back and said, yo, I can look at this and see how it's nonsense, or I can evaluate this, yes or no. But as long, and this is what really trips me out, if you're voting for Biden or you're voting for Trump, we'd like to use this phrase, voting for the lesser of two evils. When has it become okay in our community to vote for evil, whether it's lesser or greater? I, exactly. It's, 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 I, it's like you said, 50, it's, it's like you said, for 155 years, it's always been evil. I had never seen a time when it hadn't been evil. I don't understand for the lesser two. It's always been evil. I before Biden, Trump, and all that. And what I don't get caught up in is the sensationalism. But here's why I disagree. Like what I say, the whole voting thing. A lot of these brothers and all that that are screaming at enjoy their Second Amendment rights. There are certain things that a lot of that we as African people in America have received through a vote. That we enjoy right now, even though we don't agree like with what? it. And I'm one. I'm not like what? Uh, like, like what? what? Maybe one thing. One thing that we've gotten from voting that that benefited our. Oh community. my God! All right, I'm, I'm going to step in. I'm 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 about to step in now. Please I'm jump in, in war. Please no, jump in. Let me just say no, this. War. I'm a, I'm a, no, I'm going to have to jump in for the sake of I believe the point has went back and forth, back and forth between y'all two. I agree with. Both of what y'all are saying, and it really, to me, I don't think y'all are actually in disagree with each other. I think the whole point is it goes back to what I was saying about defining inclusion versus exclusion. But what what Yang is talking about is the fact that as a people, and we got to go back to the concept of politically being being politically astute. Most of our people have not learned the political process. What we have to do as quote unquote uh, participants within the revolution is create a construct to where the political process can be practiced and at the same time define the parameters in which that can be practiced on a local level but lead toward a actual position of us creating an exclusion or a position of empowerment as a people so that we can not only just practice that but actually be in a position of empowerment as ourselves. That's why I said, though, is that we, going back to our identity mechanism, we have to define what we want to be. We have to define that. As long as we accept the position of inclusion, then we're limited on how far we can go with that. Going back to the whole thing is why we can always only go back to local, 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 and then when we get to an example of a, of, of a local doing something powerful, then we also get to the example of that local being Knock, knocked off the board Which is why I said What I said about playing their game So what we have to do And also that's why I said Define, develop, and defend And I said you must defend at the beginning, middle, and end We must defend all the way through In the past We have not allowed or have Not had the proper parameters For a defensive structure in place At the same time 
we have not cohesively been unified in terms of our operation. So anytime we do something to a certain measure on a local level that leads toward empowerment for that local community, they come in and they destroy it. Why? Because that local community is still operating within a, a, in a simulated concept within the confounds of the United States operating as a United States citizen. So therefore, it's Americans fighting Americans. So we, uh, we, I do agree with what Yang is saying in regards of the aspects of dealing with local politics. And I definitely agree with the whole pro- process of most of our people think voting is the political process. We have to find a way exactly. to, and I think this goes back to, let me let, me, let, me let, let me let Syke jump in on this. I think this goes back to what Syke is saying. Listen, I think this goes back to what Syke left on. And that's saying that they continually keep the mystery of what the political system represents. Sight, please jump in and go back on that point because I think that goes back into what the two brothers are really arguing over. <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> well, let's say go ahead and, 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 and he he needs oh, yeah, to turn. Ahead, okay, y'all y'all done had twenty thirty minutes. <laughs> go to your corner. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was enjoying I was enjoying the I was enjoying the little uh, the heated debate and discussion, but uh, I mean it it does and I and I think this I, I I'm gonna add this to it right quick. I think also and, and and I think both of the brothers are making extremely valid points, but what we one of the things we have to understand is that revolution is scientific, and 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 we have to make our decisions on what things we need to do based on practicality. What can we actually put into practice and what is going to move us to a greater level of freedom? I think we got to ask ourselves that. See, revolution is not the end result. We don't become revolutionary so we can create revolution. That ain't what we do it for. Revolution is just a process. It's a vehicle. We don't want revolution. We want freedom. And we believe that revolution is a vehicle that we can utilize to move toward freedom. So in the process of moving, of, of walking this path of revolution to get to freedom, there are a few things that we will do in time. We will do some reform and stuff in the, in the process of moving towards freedom because it's not going to happen slave free overnight. So there are things that will be done. Will, uh, will we participate in voting along the way? Probably will. Will we create uh, 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 feed the children programs along the way? We probably will. Will we create sickle cell uh, uh, clinics along the way? We probably will. Are those things by themselves freedom? No, they are not. But they are, they are just steps that we may utilize to get closer to the entire goal of freedom itself. So a lot of those things we would do, I mean, even in the 60s, the Panthers, uh, 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 start trying to start running people for political office, which I, I honestly do, do not see the uh, the uh, the logic in that. But they start running people for political office. But uh, back to what Wall was saying, what he wanted me to really express on was that people need to have a functional definition of politics. People need to understand. The people need to understand what politics are. And it becomes our job, because we put it on ourselves, to teach what politics are. Politics is essentially, basically, uh, the method of solving contradictions. That's what politics are. And voting is not politics all by itself. 
it could be an aspect of politics, just like uh, Obama sending the SEAL team to assassinate Osama bin Laden was politics. All of these things are politics, and the people need to have a real, true uh, uh, functional definition of politics and what politics are and how politics are organized. And we don't have the time, but I even think that the masses of the people don't even truly understand how the government itself is organized or even how Brother E was explaining the electoral college. Uh, uh, one of the things we got to understand is that the, quote, the so-called founding fathers of this nation didn't really believe, and this goes to a little bit of what E was talking about, didn't really believe in the masses having the true power to choose the president. They really didn't believe in that because, as we know, that the average masses are emotional, they're, they're, they operate off passion, and they're illogical. The average masses are the, are the people. Uh, uh, and this society makes sure that the masses stay that way. And that's why the entire electoral college concept was even organized so that they can have a safeguard from the masses actually having that type of true real power. That's why that's why that type of situation was created in the first place. <clears throat> so the so-called founding fathers didn't believe in that. So that so when when people are going to vote, we uh, as Brother E explained earlier, we had electoral vote and we have the popular vote. The popular vote is the people's vote. That's what the people are voting for. The people's vote does not seat a president. The people's vote allows you to know who the people want. The electoral college's vote is what seats the president. And the electoral college does not have to vote along the ways of the people. The electoral college can vote as it sees fit. So so we don't actually see the president. And and should we just stop participating in all processes in this society? I don't think that'll be practical either. I don't think we should do that. But I think that we do have to take control of those processes. That's one of the things that I think that we do have to do. We do have to take control of the processes in our starting on a local level and then moving it out as we gain more power and more control of our particular situation. At the position that black people are in right now in this country, I don't think that 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 a presidential election is where our focus should be at. Matter of fact, I'm more along the lines of Malcolm. I think I'd rather see uh, Trump get back in the office, and I don't support Trump, but I'd rather see Trump because at least that wakes the people up. At least the people then know that they got a problem. Because you put, he said, Malcolm once said that it's kind of a situation between do you want to get ate by a wolf or do you want to get ate by a fox? If you put that fox in the office, then the people go back to sleep and think everything's fine, everything's all right. But if you keep that wolf in the office, then the people, at least the people are alert and, t- and, and they, are, they are saying to themselves that we need to make change, we need to participate, we need to do something. And, and that's one step toward better than what the people have been doing and that's sitting on their tail doing absolutely nothing. And, and, and I appreciate it. you pointing that pointing this one thing out. I have never and both of y'all have reiterated this, god damn it, and it pisses me off. I have never <laughs> said do not fucking participate in politics. You can participate I didn't say, in I, politics. I didn't say no, you said that, brother. No, no, that's what I'm saying. You clarified that because Ward piggybacked on that shit and, 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 and shored it up. I did not say don't participate in politics. I said don't fucking vote, number one, because it's not politics. That's not what politics is. It's just the opiate to keep you thinking you're involved in politics and your voice in that way means something when politics is basically economics. So if you want to participate in economics and politics, learn economics, 
organized economics, then you can have a say-so, even on a local level. Because I would, those tax are on the table just like everybody else. I would I would agree. And, and, and like War said, we in some things, E, we're in big agreement. I would agree. But I, I it goes back to uh, something Psych touched on and what I'm touching on. My point is this. We're unique people. Our revolution, revolution is we, we have Lenin, we have Marxists, we have Mao, we have Abraham Gillian, Bakken, and you name them. We have all of these revolutionary scientists. And they're great for foundations of reformism, revolutionaryism, and this. But we reserve the right to use any tool to inspire, to educate, and to push us towards revolution, which I agree is about freedom. To me, freedom is democracy. Having a government that uh, allows me a say in my grievances and a real democracy, not this bullshit masquerading as a democracy. And my fear is when you're dealing with a people that are politically ignorant, when you say don't vote, when you say things like that, it can be anti-democracy. It can be our people. A lot of our people are already apathetic towards politics anyway. They don't give a damn. And a lot of them are intimidated by the complexity of what is perceived to be the complexity of it. We're revolutionaries. We must seize the time. In election season, here's an op- opportune opportunity not only to educate and to inform, but to point out these contradictions and to ignite and inflame the outrage. You mean I've been participating in this shit and it don't work exactly Exactly, but if we say don't vote, don't do it's not like they're going to get a book E and, and take an alternative. I see the don't vote um, proponents, they never offer an alternative, and that's all I'm saying. I've offered it, I offered it, I offered it, you've been offered all right. I've let, let, it. Let's, end, let's end with this. Let's end with this. Let's end with this. The same way I started this off as referencing Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, who initially started out with SNCC. Going into the Black Panther Party and then transitioning to the All African People's Revolutionary Party, I urge my the listening audience to just look at the plight of Kwame Ture. Look at the plight of Kwame Ture and use and, and, and wake up on that example in terms of how the political process was utilized and how he politically came astute and ultimately went and saw things being in a certain position. Going from a position of inclusion to a position of exclusion, all along the way, utilizing a local po- a, a political process, which is how the symbol of the panther came up, came to be before Huey and Bobby, before Huey and Bobby, and I think that's super important. The symbol and the, the concept of the Black Panther Party is before that, and how it was used as a political process to help to get our people to participate in the political process, the Black Panther Party was, again, working toward getting our people to recognize the political process. Take that example and look at how it evolved, because what we're, what we're up against here, and then we, need to, we, we have to break, what we're up against is the fact that our people must become political, uh, politicized. All power to the people. Let me go ahead and go out with the outro. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race.
this crooked game of power politics here in America. The Negroes, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issues, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative teams. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberals differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. You're a chump. Chump, chump. A political chump. I approve this message. I approve White liberals control this ball through tricks, I approve, or tokenism, false promises of integration and civil rights. In this game of deceiving and using the American Negro, the white liberals have complete cooperation of the Negro civil rights leaders who sell our people out for a few crumbs of token recognition, token gains, token progress. the downtrodden black masses. They have refused to vote. They've refused to take a part in politics because they reject the Uncle Tom approach of the leadership that has been handpicked for the, for the so-called Negroes by the white man himself. This leadership does not speak for the Negro majority. They don't speak for the black masses. They speak for the black bourgeoisie brainwashed, white-minded, middle-class minorities who because they are ashamed of their race, because they are ashamed of being black and don't want to be identified with black, they are seeking to lose this black identity by mixing and mingling and intermarrying and integrating with the white society. Traitor to your race. The race problem cannot be solved by listening to the white-minded, brainwashed minority. Try to learn what the black majority wants. The president would be wise to try and learn what the black masses want. If the middle-class Negroes are casting their ballots for integration and intermarriage, what do the non-voting black masses who are in the majority want? 
Find out what the black masses want, and then perhaps America's grave race problem can be solved. 